baby. Is this thing on? It is. I can hear you loud and clear. Welcome, 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 everybody. All 3.78 million of you in the United States and around the world. And beyond. And beyond. That's a lot of people. And animals. Well. And plants. If they can figure out how to work a computer and uh, get into iTunes, I suppose. Or on Spotify. Spotify, yeah. It's looking good over there at Spotify. Yeah. So, how you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. You're looking good, I as mean, usual. I'm a, I'm a little aggravated about this whole Bluebell thing. Oh, yeah. We we mentioned Bluebell a couple of shows ago yeah. because we love it. Is it is the greatest. It's the greatest. We eat it practically every day. I mean, let's not lie. We eat it every day. Okay, just, yeah. Well, that's probably but true. This news story is giving me violent tendencies. Well, why don't we tell the listeners? You go ahead and tell okay, what, what so, this story is all about. It's pretty creepy. So it is pretty creepy. There is uh, a video that is, is all over the news and Twitter, and it is of some horrible, horrible human being <laughs> who thought uh, who thought she thought it would be quite hilarious if she would grab one one half gallon out of the freezer at Walmart. At a, Walmart it, it's got to be a Walmart. I yeah. mean, that's what it looks like. Um, if you don't have a Walmart, it's like a. Oh, they everybody has a Walmart. Well, I mean, just they? in case but, they don't. Okay. I mean, it's like a Target. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a, a grocery tar- store. It's a grocery store with a lot of um, other stuff. It's like a super duper grocery store that also has oil changes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And small furniture and, and sporting equipment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and mold. It's like a mall. It's like a mini mall. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a mini mall. Um, so uh, she goes to her local Walmart and she pulls out one gallon of blue of of sacred bluebell ice cream. And while filming herself, because she belongs on our on our selfie selfie episode. Mm-hmm. She licks the top of the ice cream, puts the lid back on, and sticks it back in the freezer. Laughing all the way. Laughing, thinking she is so cute. I can't wait to post this. Yeah, I'll get all the likes in the world. (laughs) I believe she is on the FBI's most wanted. Most liked. (laughs) Uh, No, no. She's on the FBI's most wanted. She is officially the single most hated human being in the United States, possibly the world. And I kid you not, at least on on my local news station, if she's not the top news story every hour on the hour, then I'm a monkey's uncle. And I'm neither a monkey or an uncle, so... There are almost as many people who despise her as love us. Maybe more. I don't know about uh, that. Maybe more. Um, Talking three point almost eight million. I, I'm not joking. When I checked Twitter, that video had been seen ten million times, <laughs> and uh, and they they the hatred of this person 
is is astronomical. I mean, astronomical. and well deserved, and, and well deserved. And so, why would that be a problem? I mean, it's funny. It's a pretty cool prank. Why it's is it not, not funny? It is not <laughs> funny. It is not funny. It's not a prank. Um, but uh, yeah, here's the thing: the FDA doesn't find the the Food and Drug Administration does not find these things funny because it's considered tampering with the nation's food supply. Hmm. Hmm. And so it's kind of the equivalent of, you know, like, remember the Tylenol scares when they were, when, when the lady wanted to kill her husband and so she, she poisoned like one Tylenol in a bunch of bottles. Mm -hmm. Um, All around town. All around town. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really no different. You've poisoned one 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 food item and it's 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 uh it's a danger and you know and i can say from personal experience um you know i don't i know that uh so i'll i'll share a, i'll share a personal situation um i uh i i have just i've just beat cancer um, for those of you that uh, don't know, um, I went through, uh, I just I just beat cancer. I went through multiple surgeries, chemo and radiation this year. So that's what, uh, that's maybe where we get our, uh, our, our uh, laugh ha 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 when it comes to uh, death. It gives us, gives you a different perspective on this kind of stuff. And when you're going through abdominal radiation and chemo at the same time, my radiation oncologist said, well, you're going to be so sick, you won't be able to eat anything. But if, if, if there's anything I can convince you of, I want you to eat ice cream. You can have all the ice cream you want. And no vegetables. No vegetables, yeah. <laughs> in fact, in fact, Scott, Scott said, are you a real doctor? Um, because I've been waiting my entire life for a doctor to tell me that I didn't have to eat vegetables. That's true. That's, That's a true a, story. That is a true story. And I thought that the heavens had opened up and an angel had dropped down from heaven. Uh, and it was, her name was Dr. Caruso. And, uh, she, and she was as cute as a button and a little Italian lady. And she told me no vegetables. And I said, yes, ma'am, whatever it takes to get well. And then she said, as much ice cream as I could eat. You must eat ice you, cream. Uh, she sounded kind of like that, only only she sounded really sweet. And it sounded actually <laughs> like an Italian. Uh, <laughs> unlike, how dare you. How dare you. And she said, because, of course, it has co- it's a complete protein and it has carbohydrates and fats. And, um, and it tastes really good. And when you don't feel like eating anything else... Hey, it's easy to eat ice cream. There's always room for ice cream. And so the crazy part about this particular story is, and the thing that really got my blood boiling about it, was that when you're going through chemo and radiation, you have no immune system. None. Um, And I I do mean zero. Zap, zero, nothing, nada. And so, even though she may not think she's sick, that doesn't mean she's not going to make someone else sick, especially someone in the condition I was in. 
So as far as I'm concerned, uh, she should be charged with manslaughter. So or attempted murder. Attempted murder. Yeah. Like, wow. Better, better the feds get her, their hands on her than me. You know, because you can't corrupt bluebell ice cream. I mean, that's that sustained me for months and months on end. <laughs> and continues to. And continues to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you know. I'm telling you that. Uh, so that's that's what's playing out in this gr- in the great state of Texas. The good news is um, now that I am starting to learn how to use Twitter, um, you know, thanks to this podcast, um, it appears that they have the the Lufkin Police Department, which is a tiny little town in Texas. They are absolutely convinced that. It is Lufkin, Texas, which is nowhere near us. But Lufkin, Texas, says it is their it is their city, and they have pulled. They they said it is tin roof. That is the name of the ice cream, and they have pulled all the tin roof out of their Walmart, and they say they've identified her. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> so we'll keep you guys up to date on what happens. I'm hoping the feds come in. This girl, oh yeah, yeah, she's got to be freaking out. I'm sure when she realized how, I mean, this has been going on for a week or so, and I'm sure she has been crapping her pants because the amount of tension she has been getting has been pretty astronomical. Well, so. she got what she wanted. She went viral. Oh, she definitely <laughs> went viral. I, I can't imagine that she thought she would be the leading news story on every <laughs> single channel in the state. Uh, I'm sure not. 10 million views. But I don't think the comments she was getting was exactly what she had in mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. It backfired a little bit. Yeah. So anyway, oh, have we told everybody what this podcast is about? No. The first, FDA? let's talk. Let's talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we are the the we're the Food and Drug Administration Enforcement Division. <laughs> yeah, up against the wall. Um, no. What no. we should first talk about is what number podcast is this? Um, we this is this is number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. We are one away. From double digits. Double digits. Oh, this is exciting. This is exciting. Well, this is a big deal. It's a very big deal. And this is counting worms. And we're almost up to double digits in listeners, too. Probably so. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. If we're lucky. We'll have to keep checking the numbers. All right. So. I'll have to pay that $3 to iTunes so we can find out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll start out tonight. Oh, all right. Another good? horrible story. <laughs> it is horrible. This is a great true crime. Well, you know, but true crime, it's true. It's true. I mean, I didn't make this up. Yeah. It's horrible. And there's yeah. some horrible people out there. And so we're That's, just, we're journalists. And so we're going. <laughs> I'm not a journalist. <laughs> I'm not either. But we play one on a podcast. Yeah, we pretend. So my story tonight is another Awful one. I don't know why I'm elected to do all the awful ones. You just like the true crime stuff, babe. That's true. I do like the, I do like that. This story is important to me personally because, and you'll see why later, but this sparked <laughs> my interest in forensic sciences. Oh, 
Wow. Okay. And it was what caused me to go back and get my degree in forensic. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Well, my, my armchair degree. Oh, gotcha. Okay. From watching all these shows. I feel like I, I know the science pretty well. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, but this, this sparked my interest. Um, and this story is a real tribute to the forensic scientists and also the police department for what I like to call good old-fashioned shoe leather. We do like shoe leather. We like shoe leather. That's going out there and beating the bushes and doing that good old-fashioned police work. And it's nice whenever we can give the cops a shout-out because, you know, there are some cops that have made the news and it ain't good. Yeah. It ain't good. There are some there are some trouble troubles out there, but there are not but for everybody. That's right. And, and most of them are good people and yeah, the you ma- know, you, the majority you, are out there to make a difference. How many time how many shows have we seen where there's a grizzled cop who's been at the job for 30 years and he's telling a story about this kid who got killed or whatever and he had to go talk to the parents and you can he's welling up and he's he's about to cry. Uh and you just love him for it. Yeah. Yeah. But you can tell that they really do care. I mean, they're they're invested in these stories, and it's a tough job. It's a tough job. It's got to change ask, you. Ask Joe Kenda, oh, which God. we will in October. We will be <laughs> asking Joe Kenda. Don't mark our words. We will be. We're going to get him to call in. I oh, mean, we're going to no. get him to call in. Yes, we are. We're going to get him to sit on our lap and tell us stories. Ooh. He's going to sit right here on my knee. Right here on my knee. Oh, my God. Right here. get a picture of that for our Instagram. Yeah, he's going to be sitting on my knee. Yes, and we will have some, several pictures of him and us and the, the actor that plays Joe, all of that, and Larry Martin. And Larry it's Martin's going to be, gonna be there. And there's going to be several other cast members, so we're very excited about For those that. of you that don't know, his oh. show is Homicide Hunter. Yeah. We just talk about him like he's our best friend, and maybe, maybe you don't know him yet, but you need to watch Homicide Hunter. You do indeed. He's fantastic. He's our favorite, I think. Yeah, he says crazy things that will make you your heart swell three sizes too big. He belongs in a cage. Not yeah. Joe. Yeah, not Joe, criminal. but the bad that's guy. That's what he says. Yeah, that's what he says. All right. So getting back to this story, this story takes place in a very small town in Ohio called Marshallville. So we live in a small town, and this one's even smaller than ours. Um, but anyway, we've watched... Uh, a ton of murder shows, and all of us have watched a ton, and we've all seen shots of these little small towns where you see the, the front porch and the American flag waving in the wind and all that stuff. I think that's because it's stock image. That's probably why. I thought all these would happen in the same town. Yeah, it's just, it's just a stock image. But uh, they do all look like that. They do. So, um, cliche alert. Marshallville was the last place you'd expect a murder. <laughs> <laughs> and and people there Is it an enclave? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bedroom community. Uh and people there didn't lock their doors at night. Dumbasses. <laughs> yeah, we always say that. Oh, that's so stupid. Why would you Who do are that? these people that don't lock their doors? They're the ones that we're doing stories about. They're all dead. Yeah, that's why they get killed. That's right. Lock, lock your, doors. your doors. That's the moral of this story so far. All right, so in 1982, there was an 11-year-old girl named Krista Lee Harrison. She sounds nice. She was nice. She was a nice girl, a fun girl, typical girl in a small town in Ohio. 
Uh, and to make extra money, she used to go around and uh, collect soda cans so she could turn them in for money. And uh, she did that at the soccer field, or a softball field, it wasn't soccer field, a softball field across the street from her house. Go it, Team USA. That's right. Yeah. And uh, one day she was doing it with her buddy, and they were collecting cans, and he took a break, and he wanted to get a drink of water, he goes over to the water fountain, he drinks, and when he's done, he kind of looks up, and then across the field, he sees Krista, and a van pulls up next to her. A man jumps out of the van, grabs her, pulls her into the van, and peels out. That's not cool. That's not good. Um, so the police arrive shortly thereafter, and Krista's friend describes what he saw. And it was a red or brown or maroon van with these teardrop windows on the side, but toward the back mm. of the van. Very distinctive bubble kind of windows. So the whole town is freaking out. Um, the police and volunteers all come out and start searching the whole area. They're searching the waterways and the, the you know, woods and all that stuff, looking for Krista, but no luck. Oh, no. Yeah. Six days later, what do you think happens? They find her. They do. Ugh. Now, you'd expect joggers, but... Or a guy walking his dog. guy walking his dog, but no, in... I guess in rural northern Ohio, there aren't many of joggers. So in this case, hunters. Ugh. Hunters out hunting stumble upon the bo- the badly decomposed body of a young girl. And this is about Ugh. 30 miles away from Krista's home. Wow, 30 miles. 30 miles. Yeesh. So the body was partially wrapped in clear plastic. Weird. Kind of weird. And near the body, they found a pair of jeans, uh, a plaid shirt, and black leather gloves. So they collected all of those things, of course. And they started spreading out and looking for additional clues in that area. And they found in this one other area, a little ways away, a clump of hair, a beach towel, and a funky-shaped cardboard box covered with blood. So they take this body back. A little angel. They do identify her as Krista. And oh, sweetheart. They also determine the cause of death was strangulation. And they also mm. determined she had been sexually assaulted. Oh, baby. Yeah. So Poor baby. Not good. So there was a gentleman who was a forensic scientist named Jeffrey Lynn, and he was kind of pivotal in this case. He assisted with the investigation. And what he discovered that was on this girl's body as well as on that nearby beach towel that they found, there were, in his words, ugly orange fibers. (laughs) (laughs) And the crazy thing was he recognized these fibers. He had seen them before. Where has he seen them? About eight months earlier, another girl. Oh, God. A 12-year-old girl named Tina Harmon. Tina Harmon. She was raped and killed in the nearby town, you know, one town over. Oh, great. So he had done forensic work on that case as well. And mm-hmm. she, Tina Harmon, had the same orange fibers on ugly her body. Ones. The ugly orange fibers. Well, there, this this caused a little bit of a problem because the there was a man named Herman Ray Rucker who was in the state's custody and serving a life sentence for Tina Harmon's murder. Uh-oh. And... 
this forensic guy is convinced that these two cases are connected. Um, this Rucker character, his conviction was based largely on circumstantial evidence, and no connection was ever established between him and these orange fibers. So that uh, part, they just uh, had to look the other way, and they convicted him. So he's sitting in jail. So he's not guilty of this one, and they're thinking there's a connection. So um, if these fibers are as important to this case as the forensic guy thinks, Mr. They, Lynn they've is got a, a wrongfully convicted dude in the clink and a serial killer of small girls still roaming the oh, farmlands no. of Wayne County in northern Ohio. Uh-oh. So he determined that the fibers were man-made and they were made of polyester. Ew, no wonder they were ugly. And here's where the cool part comes in. This is the part that hooked me into forensics. These fibers were triangular in shape. (laughs) Or... (laughs) Here it is. Trilobal. Your word. They're trilobal. I remember the day you heard this word. Suddenly it's all coming back to me. Your word. Trilobal. Trilobal fibers. Trilobal fibers. Um, Yes. Now I get it. I'll be referring to them off and on throughout the next few years. Yes, henceforth. (laughs) Anytime there's fibers involved. You probably already have referred to them in our previous episodes. (laughs) I probably have. Anyway, they determined that they're more than likely carpet fibers. So at that point in the investigation, the investigators turned their attention to the plastic bag that had been wrapped around her ankles. Um, The size, the shape, the thickness, and there was apparently a unique way that the bag had been folded during the manufacturing process that made it pretty unique. Uh, And so they tried to figure out what the source of this bag was. And through shoe leather... Mm. They determined that the manufacturer... Old-fashioned or yeah. newfangled? No, good old-fashioned. Old-fashioned, Old-fashioned. Uh, the, the company was in Pioneer, Ohio, and it had only one use, this plastic that they made, and that was to wrap up black custom leather seats that were used in vans. Hmm. Vans. Hmm, vans. Hmm. Like with teardrop-shaped windows? Well, Maybe. We'll have to see. Mm. So the seats themselves were sold exclusively through mail order catalogs from Sears. Back in the days wow. when mail order catalogs were big. <laughs> and Sears. And the cardboard <laughs> box they had found with that clump of hair and the beach towel, it had a very unique L shape to it. Not a normal like a cardboard seat? box. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, see, you're doing a little armchair I'm over shoe here. Leather. Th- I'm listening. A little I'm, butt I'm, leather. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that was the exact type box that was used by Sears to package these black leather seats. Oh my gosh. So this here's my first rodeo that, cowboy. That's right. So here's some more shoe leather for you. Next, they go through Sears records of sales to identify if any Heck of those seats yeah. were sold to Ohio residents in the months prior to Krista's abduction. Can you imagine that? Oh God. I mean, this was... I don't this think is computers pre-Excel were so, spreadsheet. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so they found out that only 23 of these seats had been sold in northern Ohio, but none of the 23 owned a red, brown, or maroon van that had those tear-shaped bubble windows. 
that the witness was so sure that, that he had seen. Which I don't see as something he would make up. No, no, it's pretty specific. So weeks turn into months and soon we're at the one year oh, anniversary God. of her murder and Poor still baby. nobody in custody. Then, and still this other guy sitting in jail. Right. So another cliche alert. Whoop, whoop. They got the break they were waiting for. Oh, it God. turned the case on its head. That's right. It did in a whole new direction. <laughs> So the one they've been waiting. The uh, the break they were waiting for came from a very unlikely source. Uh, about fifty miles away from where this investigation mm. was going on, there was a gas station manager who was doing some work outside, a little maintenance work, and she gets abducted at gunpoint. Oh God! Shoved into a car and taken to an unknown unknown location. For the next. Several hours, Never she is abused, her head is shaved, she's oh my sexually God. assaulted and tortured with electricity. Oh my God. Yeah, not a good night. Um, the next morning she wakes up to find herself spread-eagled on a bed and tied up uh, with handcuffs and ropes. And the attacker puts on a suit and he tells her that he's going out for a little while and he threatens to kill her if she tries to escape. And he leaves. Well, he's going to kill her anyway. Yeah, well, she Make knows Make a break, that. girlfriend. She knows for sure that that's exactly what his plan is. So she finds the strength and Do the your fortitude. Thing. Oh, we just found our second hero. Yep, she got one of her hands free. Ooh, girl. And she used it to untie <gasps> her legs. You go, girl. And the last hand was in a handcuff, and she <sighs> had to almost do a you know disjointing oh thing to pull her hand through the handcuff. But she eventually did. And then she busts out and goes running through the street, naked, shaved head, bloodied and bruised. Poor baby. And just oh she doesn't God. know where she is, and she's looking for help. Anyone. And so she hears a, a barking dog, and oh so she kind God. of veers over in that direction, and she finds a, the home of a good Samaritan who lets her in, and they contact authorities. So Tell me we have this lady's name. Well... They just called her Debbie. <laughs> oh, Debbie. I mean, I saw her face and she talked on screen, but, um, you know, Deb Debbie. Oh, Debbie. We'll we call love her Jane. you, Debbie. No, this one's Debbie. We love you, Debbie. Yeah, so I'm sure she's listening. Good yeah. job, Debbie. Yeah, Debbie. Way to go. Debbie, you're our hero. You are our hero. A second hero. Um, so the woman later identifies the attacker, and his name is Robert Anthony Buell. Does that name ring a bell at all? Mm, Looks no. like a regular guy, whatever. It turns out he works for the city of Akron in the planning department. Uh, he's college educated. He's dating an attorney. Mm. You know, from all appearances, normal guy. Of course, he's got the girl tied up at home <laughs> yeah. that he's beating and shaved her head and probably going to oh. kill her. So anyway... Um, Here's another cliche. He was a well-respected member of the community. Ugh. I just threw up a little in my mouth. He might have even been a pillar. Ugh. We don't know. They didn't say pillar, but they did yeah. say respected. So it turns out that this guy owns a reddish-colored van. Oh, sounds familiar. But the windows are rectangular. They're the sliding rectangular ones, not the mm. very identifiable tear-shaped ones that the Well, he switched witnessed. his seats out. But inside the van, guess what they found? What? Orange, ugly carpet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. Um, 
But his attorney said that even if they can match the fibers with the victims and his van, that this carpet must be present in a ton of houses and offices and cars and everything else. So it literally mm. wouldn't mean anything. Well, we'll see about that. So the, the police have these similar carpet fibers from Krista's body, from the other girl's body, from the beach towel, and from now from this guy's van. And they wanted to find out just how unique, how, how unique often is this carpet? Is this carpet that our forensic guy, Lynn, hates? So guess what they employ? Shoe leather. Shoe leather. Shoe leather. They Not f- newfangled, but no. old-fashioned. And we're cutting down this, you know, I don't know how long it takes to identify who made carpet. Well, if they had, if they had CSI Miami... Oh, that could then it would have been done in like three minutes. But one, since one they word, don't. One word for CSI Miami. Match. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But this was back in the 80s, you say? Yeah. So they didn't have it They then. didn't have CSI Miami yet. Okay. So it turns out that this particular carpet was not a big seller. Probably because it was so shocked, ugly. Probably. Yeah. And they had only manufactured 12,000 square yards. That's not very much. Well, in the carpet world, I guess that's not very much. That's not. And it turns out that only 74 square yards were shipped to northern Ohio. Mm. So it's not quite as uh, common as the attorney might have said. It was further discovered that Robert Buell had purchased two of these black leather seats from Sears Mm. three weeks before Krista's murder. However, they Mm. still had the problem about the tear-shaped tear... you know, teardrop-shaped windows. But shoe leather, they canvassed the neighborhood, and the neighbors told him that he had changed out those windows to the sliding rectangular windows uh, right around the time of uh, Krista's abduction. Nice. Don't you love neighbors? Inside the home, some more evidence. Mr. Buell owned a pair of jeans with the same make and size of the ones they found. Uh, same similar uh, wear patterns to the ones that were found near Krista's body. Nice. So eventually, Robert Buell was found guilty of the kidnapping, rape, and murder of Krista Harrison, and he was sentenced to death in the electric chair. Sweet. Yeah, go Ohio. Yeah, well done. Herman Ray Rucker, Poor the guy, guy that was in the prison, yeah. he was granted a new trial and was acquitted and released from prison. Wow, a trial. He has to go through a trial, So it's huh? a win-win, I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Robert Buell was executed in 2002, maintaining his innocence to the very end. And I wrote down his quote. These are his final words. Okay, let's hear And he's him. addressing this to the parents of, oh, God. of Harrison. Oh, my God. He says, at least everybody, at least we know he gets the needle after this. Yeah. Whatever it is, however bad it is. He says, Jerry and Shirley. Oh, my God. Addresses I hate them him already. Na- oh, my God. Are we, do we really want to give him this opportunity? Yes, because this is really, well, it, you'll see. Okay. I didn't kill your daughter. Yes, you did. The prosecutor knows that. Bullshit. And they left the real killer out there and on the streets to kill again and again and again. Yet it hasn't happened. So that some good may come of this, I ask you. I ask you to continue to pursue this to the end. Which don't, will be in about an hour. Don't, don't let the prosecutor continue to spin this out of focus and force them to find out who really killed your daughter. That's all I have to say. 
And amazingly, in 2010, no. <laughs> in 2010, investigators used new technology to test the DNA from both Harrison and Harmon, uh-huh. both those cases, and the results confirmed that he had murdered both girls. Nice. Well done. That's why I wanted to read that, because I knew where it was going. So, way to go, Ohio. So, they did pursue it to the very end. Yes, they did. And? They put a cap on it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so Ohio is kind of a hero in the mix here. The yeah. Mr. Lynn, the uh, forensic guy, is a yeah, hero. That, and so is Debbie. And Debbie. Let's not forget Debbie. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, um, Debbie nailed it, too. Yeah, so... Mr. Lynn and Debbie. It's time for you to cleanse our palate again, baby. Yeah, all right. Well, let's do it. Okay. So let's tell me, what, what is your story tonight about? Well... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a little story. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is a this isn't this is a fun one. Okay. Um. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna go back in time. Oh no! Sorry, <laughs> that was no. perfect. No, it was not perfect. All right. So it started off like any other day. Except the man had slight malaise, hmm. just slight. Frankly, he'd probably not slept well last night. Sounds like me every day. Yeah, right. He developed a bit of a headache, but nothing to keep him home from work. And he figured his minor queasiness was probably just something he ate. Sure. And the headache might just be from being tired. Okay. As the day went on, his arms felt heavy. Mm-hmm. And he became he became so tired, he was just not sure how he would make it through the day. You know how that is. Sure. We've all had those days where we just thought, oh my God, will this day ever end? And his headache throbbed, and he began to feel a little feverish. Sure. Just a little. However, Mm -hmm. this man's work was extremely important. You see, he came to work every single day in a lab that was involved in making polio vaccines. Wow. That is important. And the year is 1967. Cool. And that's important. The summer of love. (laughs) Well, that's important, you see, because it was only a little over a decade, 10 years ago or so, that polio vaccines had even became a reality. Yeah. In the 1950s, that entire decade was, there was a just devastation across the globe as suddenly healthy children and adults alike would be doing, doing their normal activities one moment, and the next moment, a headache, then prickling in their fingers or toes, and then there it was, a creeping paralysis that would engulf them. These previously healthy infants, children, and adults would now be paralyzed Or worse, they would die from being unable to breathe. 
the terror of that image of the iron lung swept the consciousness of the whole world. Or worse, because it was, you only got to go in the iron lung, assuming you lived. Mm. See, polio was a true nightmare. And we only found a way to beat it a decade before. So, obviously, this little bit of nausea and this ever-increasing headache was not going to keep him from doing his work. Right. Right? The memory of those, uh, of that, was, was just, those fears were still really fresh on his mind. Vaccines had to be made, and everyone had to be given the opportunity to be vaccinated. Polio. Now that was a very scary disease. Or so he thought. Oh boy. Because you see, all of these things, you know, meaning viruses like the one that causes polio, or bacteria, or fungus like St. Anthony's fire, they all have what is called an incubation period. Yes. Okay? And that's the time between the exposure to an infection and the appearance of the first symptom. Mm-hmm. And our friend in the lab has now met his incubation period. I see. Mm-hmm. So he continued day after day returning to work. Even with a headache, each day worse than the day before. But who calls in sick over a headache? He's fighting polio for crying out loud. I mean, exactly. Yeah, you keep going. You you keep going. You fight through the pain. You fight through it. And every day, the exhaustion was horrible. Now, it was the fifth, maybe it was the sixth day of him not feeling very snappy. And I would say on day one, he was just tired. You know, then the headaches and... So now today, day five or six, his fever began to rise abruptly, and he was just not sure what to make of it. He began having severe abdominal pain mm-hmm. and cramping, and really, he barely made it to the bathroom where he had it coming and going out of both ends. Mm-hmm. We've all been there. And it just kept coming and going out of both ends. And then suddenly his skin, it just had this rash all over. Oh, no. And he knew he was in trouble. He knew he was in trouble. And he kept waffling between wanting to call for help Knowing he needed help, um, but being too tired to bother, you know. And then he'd get angry and agitated and feel mean. But then he'd be tired and just want to sleep right there on the bathroom floor. Because, you know, dehydration was setting in and he just was so sick. I've spent many a night on the bathroom floor. It's happened. Not from polio. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have polio either. Oh, okay. Polio causes paralysis. He's not par- paralyzed. Oh, oh, good. 
That's good news? Yeah. That's, uh, I guess bit, we'll have to wait we'll and, have see. To wait and see. Okay. And see, that's, that's, uh, that's when he saw it. And he was confused, you know. Um, saw what, the rash? Um, no. Oh, no. Um, you know, he, he, he said, is that, what is, is that, what the hell? Is that, is that blood on the floor? Oh, boy. And where is it coming from? Now, no guessing though, over there, Scott. No guessing, love. Mm-hmm. Not only do I promise you, do I pinky swear you will be wrong, <laughs> but I want to remind you that he's in a lab. Remember? Mm-hmm. He's working in a lab. Mm-hmm. In a city. Mm-hmm. Can I guess? No. Okay. I just said no guessing. Okay. So why he's look he's on the floor, he's looking around. Why why is there why is there blood all over the floor? Now he had to. He had to go get help because something's terribly wrong. So he had to muster up the strength. He had to. He had to walk out of this bathroom. And when he did, people people screamed. Hmm. And he was confused again. And he was angry. He was angry because, and he w- he felt angry and confused. Hmm. But then with a powerful burst of projectile vomit, oh, what he didn't know was that it was basically ground up parts of his internal organs. Oh, ouch. And the screaming and the fear from his co-workers were justified. Yeah. Because mankind had just discovered a brand new and terrifying hemorrhagic fever. Oof. That doesn't sound good. Is that good? No. No, it's not good. Our lab friend's illness had just changed the world forever as we knew it. We would soon identify the first ever, first ever genetically unique zoonotic RNA virus of the filovirus family. Mm. Mm. Okay, that was what? a big sentence. Yeah, <laughs> that was a big sentence. So I let, don't get it. I know. So let me roll through it again in plain English so we're all on the same page. That's a special sentence. It's I something know. bad that makes you sick. Yeah. Zoonotic just means that it is animal born. And hold on, I'm going to get right back to that. I'll explain in a minute. RNA virus, well, okay, so a virus consists of two things. It's either DNA in a protein or RNA in a protein. Of course. And this one is RNA. Everybody knows that. Right, just two things. And this is the really big statement, y'all. This is the big one. This is the one that changes history of mankind as we know it. This virus led to the creation, the creation of the filovirus family of viruses. Don't worry, I'm going to explain that to you. What? It matters. It's, it's big time. Mm-hmm. It's big time. We're now playing with the big dogs. Hmm. So this poor man, forever in history, known only as Kloss, 
F, his name is Klaus, became the first known death of what would be known as Marburg virus. Marburg? Marburg. He was patient zero. So to speak. Wow. Named after the city the outbreak occurred in. Because yes, folks, yes, 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 we're about to have an outbreak. Oh, whoop, no. Whoop. no. <laughs> it's getting exciting. Turn up the volume, put on your seatbelts. It's all about to take place right here, right here, right now. Put on your, put on your masks <laughs> and get out your hand sanitizer and your latex gloves. This little lab is located in Marburg, Germany, and sadly, we used to have a really nasty habit of naming horrible diseases after where they happened or where they were discovered, which is just not really good for the tourism industry, as you might imagine. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to that really important sentence about the first ever filovirus. You probably have not ever heard of Marburg. Nope. And you probably have no understanding of why this family of viruses matter. You're right about that. And I'm sure what you're thinking is if you have never heard of it, it can't possibly actually be that important. I agree with that statement. Well, let's not jump to conclusions just yet. You may not have ever heard of Marburg, honey. You may not have heard of Marburg virus, but as I said, it's very, 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 very important, and it's very, very important that it was the very first ever discovered filovirus, and perhaps you have not heard of her, but maybe you have heard of her way more popular cousins. They go by the name Ebola. I've heard of that one. <laughs> now do I have your attention? Ebola's not good. Yeah, you, you probably have heard of her cousin. Her cousin Ebola. You see, the only other viruses in this tight little family of sisters, the only other viruses along with Marburg are the Ebola sisters mm. and the strains within those. So I bet you now have an idea on what happens to poor Kloss and our other friends in the lab in Marburg, Germany. Take two aspirins and they call me in the morning? Not so much. Mm. You see, her cousin Ebola may be more popular but she is not by any means worse than Marburg virus. She's just better known. Okay. You see... So did the projectile vomiting have anything to do with the spreading of this particular disease? We'll get there. <laughs> you see, the polio vaccines had been made using monkeys or their tissues. Hmm. So the lab had imported African green monkeys. Green? African green monkeys. Hmm. And these are cute little things. I'll bet. Cutest little monkeys you have ever seen. Except for the Ebola thing. They don't have Ebola. Oh, okay. That's a completely different virus. They have Marburg. Oh, yeah. Well, except for that, then. 
These are cute, cute little monkeys. And because they're so cute, very, very little personal protection was used in working with them or their cultures. Mm-hmm. Klaus worked very closely with these monkeys. Did they do tricks and stuff? No. Okay. He fed them and he cleaned their cages and he never, ever felt threatened by them. Right. And well, I guess the monkeys never really meant him any harm, technically. Oh, jeez. What'd they do to him? They gave him Marburg. Oh, yeah. Well, that's not good. The actual reservoir for the virus is not the actual monkey, but a specific bat found in Africa. You see, a reservoir is the creature that carries the virus but doesn't get sick. Hmm. The monkeys are going to pay for this just as much as the humans. Oh, they're so cute. They are super cute. And if you look them up, the African green monkeys, you'll see why they weren't threatened by them. They're so cute. Mm -hmm. However, just like it's yet undiscovered cousin Ebola, because remember, it's only 1967. And Ebola will not be discovered or identified until 1976, another 11 years later. Mm. The virus can be spread through contact with body fluid or contact with any materials that may have come in contact with body fluids. So these poor little monkeys were infecting everyone they met. Mm. A total of 37 people became sick in the initial infection. Many of them having the terrifying symptoms we all think of. Bleeding from any body openings like the eyes, mouth, gums, vagina, and anus, red eyes, fever, uncontrolled vomiting of black blood, sloughing off of intestinal tissues, brain damage, veins bursting, and liquefaction of tissues. So all that fun stuff. It's not good. Well, it's fun. It's fun. But a unique feature to Marburg that its cousins Ebola do not have is orchitis. That means inflammation of the testicles until they turn gangrenous. Wow. So your testicles swell until they rot. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Marburg also shows more, and this is an air quote, skin features, which it can best be described as having causes radiation-like burns to the skin. If you recall, I mentioned the rash. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Now, the good news when it comes to Marburg virus is that it is far more rare than its cousins, and it's only about 30% fatal when caught early and supportive care is given, Mm -hmm. which didn't happen so much in Marburg, Germany, because we didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, Once the hemorrhagic 
part of Marburg occurs, death is imminent. They really can't stop it at that point. But if you can catch Marburg before the hemorrhagic phase, you can oftentimes save the person. Our friend Klaus did die. And when death occurs with Marburg, it is usually fast, occurring most often within nine days of the onset of symptoms. And it's preceded by severe blood loss. Because when Marburg strikes, once it reaches the hemorrhagic phase, blood loss is severe. And death is usually caused by shock. So there is no vaccine, there is no cure, and the only treatment is what is called supportive care, like rehydration and the treatment of specific symptoms. Yet, port Per the WHO, the World Health Organization, there is no proven treatment for Marburg. And that's all we have tonight. Take care, everybody. (laughs) Marburg virus was, however, incredibly important historically because it gave us a head start and it prepared us for what was to come. That being a far more aggressive filovirus that would sporadically appear with a much higher mortality rate. In fact, Marburg's cousin Ebola has had outbreaks that had a death toll of 50 to 90% of those infected. Ebola is not as rare as Marburg. Marburg has had very, very, very few outbreaks. But it gave us an 11-year head start, which is extraordinary. So while we still don't know a lot about these mysterious family, this little mysterious family of viruses, it was Marburg virus who introduced us to the family. It started it all. And now... You know her name. Wow. Well, that's yeah. a cautionary tale. Um, I think th- what we can learn from this is stay away from African green monkeys. Does that sound fair? And I bats. Think, I think <laughs> what's important is that even, you know, when we... Previously, when we l- worked in laboratory settings, we had become relaxed you know we had these cute little monkeys and they didn't look sick so we had very relaxed practices we were just making polio vaccines everybody knew what they were doing there was no need to use any kind of precautionary you know uh and it's kind of like with our uh the animal encounters episode that we did we know no need for us to suit up. You know, these people will inter- think they can interact with wild animals and there's no harm that will come to them. You know, even if you don't get jaws or claws, there are other things an animal can do. And there are other things that can, that can harm you. Even if the animal doesn't bite you or scratch you, you can still have very significant issues by interacting with Mother Nature. So... Are you saying these that animals we should, didn't bite or scratch claws? Should we just? I think we maybe we should just kill all the animals. 
Is that the answer? That's not even funny. I'm sorry, baby. At all. I'm sorry. Maybe the all the animals are plotting to kill you. Me personally? No, just mankind. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's all right. But no, Marburg. The 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 it's a it was a it was a big one for me because everybody everybody always jumps straight to Ebola. In fact, most people talk about this outbreak in 1967 as if it was Ebola. And they group it in, and it's not, it's not the same virus at all. And, you know, if, you know, if we were treating it properly, we, you know, it gave us an 11-year head start on the first Ebola outbreak. So, you know, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. I've never heard of it before, and I hope to never have it. <laughs> How about you? You don't well, want it, do you? Well, if you have the choice between it and Ebola, you have a much higher higher likelihood of surviving Marburg, so. Okay, I'll go with that one. (laughs) All right, baby, what can we tell our listeners? Um, Well, we definitely want you to rate, review, and subscribe. Tell all your friends about us. And uh, and next to that, we do need to go over our sources. Yes. Well, I did have a couple other sources like Wikipedia and Murderpedia, but mainly I will give credit to the show that started it all, as far as I'm concerned, Forensic Files. That's a good one. That is a good one. That and that's from, a, that's from many years ago, actually, this, this episode. I dug it up. But um, I'll give, that's my, a good one. give my credit where credit's due, Forensic Files. Well, my sources are, of course, the World Health Organization and the CDC, as well as the Journal of Infectious Diseases. Good times. Yeah, definitely so. Definitely so. All right, baby. Well, that was fun. Yeah. So, folks, until next time. Live big. Rest in peace. The worms are waiting. The worms are waiting. Sorry, baby, I came in late. (laughs) 